I could uh, just as easily have entitled this sermon, Easter Part 2. In our story last week from Luke's Gospel, Jesus' body was not in the tomb. And the angels told the disciples specifically to look among the living. This week, Jesus shows up in person, alive, and not only does he show up among the living, he shows up among the mundane part of life. Similar to these plot connections, the message this week is very much an extension from last week. Our gospel reading last week encouraged us to look for uh, the experience of Christ among the living wherever we experience life. Experiencing Christ in those places and moments that bring life to us and bring life to our world. Literally, we talked about things like when a newborn baby takes its very first breath. Figuratively, uh, things like uh, the program that we, we heard about, Choose 180, that treats with love and care those who have been mistreated. Well, this week, we are encouraged to look for Christ among life and the living, but even more specifically, I think we are encouraged to look for Christ even in the midst of those mundane moments of life. This morning's story reveals that Jesus might appear to us, reveal himself to us, anywhere, anytime. In so many different ways, this uh, first appearance of Jesus is ridiculous. Um, Frederick Buechner, in a, in a sermon that he once did on this, uh, brings out the absurdity of Jesus' choice. It's a strange story. All the stories about how Jesus appeared to people after his death are strange. And the strangest thing about them is how unglamorous they are, how little fanfare there is about them. If you or I had written them, it would have been hard to resist giving them at least a little more drama. In the stories about how he was born, there's a whole choir of angels singing glory to God in the highest and kings arriving from the east with precious gifts, the shepherds coming in out of the night to kneel at the manger and the star. But here, for instance, all we have are two men walking along a dusty road to a town that nobody had heard much of. That's it. In fact, in this first appearance, as Luke tells it, it's not even to the 11 apostles. It's the first appearance of Jesus, and he shows up to a guy named Cleopas. And we don't even know who the second person is. We never hear the name. In fact, it might not even been a man. Beekner says it showed up to two men. There are some people who think it was Cleopas's wife. And they were walking along. We have no idea. That's how unimportant this group and this moment, these, these two in this moment was in some respects. In Luke's telling of this story, this is the first appearance of the risen Lord of the universe, the Son of God. 
the conqueror of all evil, including death itself. And it's to a guy named Cleopas and somebody else on a dirt road to nowhere. And they don't even recognize him. Further, they almost let him walk away before they ever recognize him. I have to say that it's this part of the story that worries me the most. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus. How many people did he appear to that never did recognize him? And that's why their stories aren't in the Bible. How many times have I not realized that Christ was with me? By coincidence, I find this really interesting. There was a comic strip in the Seattle Times on, I think it was Thursday, um, from a, a particular series that is not religious in any sort uh, that I've ever seen before. But in this one frame comic, there are three people that are are dressed up like um, backpackers, long-term hikers, got shorts and boots and wide-brimmed hats and walking sticks and backpacks. And there's two of them that are kind of in the back right next to each other. And there's one that's much further out front. But there's a fourth person in this frame. And the that person is right behind the, the lead hiker, and it's God. And you know it's God because there's a long white robe and a long white beard and flowing white hair. And just in case we don't get it, there's a little halo. And, and God is turning to the two that are lagging behind. God is turning and giving them the shh gesture. The guy in front is saying, I've been walking for four months to meet God and not once has he shown himself to me. And the tagline underneath is, the thing every pilgrim hates the most. God's right there and he doesn't see it. I just thought that was a remarkable timing that that showed up as I was looking at this story. I think at least one major reason that the pair in our story in Luke don't recognize Christ is because they weren't expecting him. They still thought he was dead, first of all. I mean, they thought he was dead, and that's a major reason for not expecting him to show up. But even if they thought he was alive, there there was no reason for them to think that he would ever show up to them in that place, why would he show up for Cleopas and whoever? And why would he show up there on this dusty road to nowhere? And it wasn't even until another totally mundane moment that they realized that it was Jesus. Verses 30 and 31. When he was at table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, I know for me that it is hard to read those words, hear those words, and not think of the sacrament of Holy Communion. But there was no sacrament of Holy Communion yet. That didn't occur as a sacrament for decades. Further, 
Cleopas and whoever this other person was probably were not even at the Last Supper that Jesus formally said, take, eat, and, you know, do this in remembrance of me. This, in our story this morning, is just some random person at their dinner table who takes the bread, says grace, and starts handing out the rolls. But somehow in that just very mundane moment, they recognized Jesus. I find this story challenging and encouraging. Challenging because it calls us to be attentive to as as much of our lives as possible. To be attentive to all of our life. To be mindful even of the mundane events. To be fully present to even the most mundane of moments. Because Jesus might reveal himself anywhere, anytime. That attentiveness is difficult to sustain. But it's worth it because Jesus has shown us in this morning's story that he will reveal himself even to no names on their way to nowhere. And that's why I find this story extraordinarily encouraging. Because in the grand scheme of the United States, I am a nobody on my way to nowhere. Now, I'm not saying this to have you say, oh, Doug, that's not true. (laughs) It is. This is just simply an objective evaluation based on our culture's standard of values. In that sense, I'm a mundane person with a mundane life. And even if I was a celebrity, even celebrities, the majority of their life is made up of mundane moments. But who cares? Who cares that I am a mundane person with a mundane life? Because we know that Jesus doesn't care. Jesus can and does show up anywhere for anyone, anytime. It might be while we're stuck in traffic. It might be while we're vacuuming. It might be while we're at a meeting. It might be saying grace before dinner on a Tuesday night in February. Anne Lamott has a great essay on uh, saying grace before a meal. I read it. Um, in the parade magazine that comes with Sunday, the Sunday uh, newspaper a few years ago. Uh, but I think it's an excerpt from her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. Um, and she talks about it in this part that as a kid, she observed other families saying grace. Because uh, her own family did not say it, as she says, because her parents were atheists. So as a kid, she observed other families. At one point she writes, "Uh, I noticed some families shortened the pro forma blessing so they could get right to the meal. If there were more males than females, it was a boy chant said as one word. God is great. God is good. Let us thank our food domain. I also noticed that grace usually wasn't said if the kids were eating in front of the TV. 
as if God refused to listen over the sound of it. But then she goes on and says, it turns out that my two brothers and I all grew up to be middle-aged believers. I've been a member of the same Presbyterian church for 27 years. My older brother became a born-again Christian. Don't ask him to give grace, uh, as it can last forever. I adore him, but your food will grow cold. My younger brother is an unconfirmed but freelance Catholic. So now someone at our table always ends up saying grace. I think we're in it for the pause, the quiet thanks for love and for our blessings for the shov- before the shoveling begins. For a minute, our stations are tuned to a broader, richer radius. We're acknowledging that this food didn't just magically appear. Someone grew it, ground it, bought it, baked it. Wow. We say thank you for the miracle that we have stuck together all these years in spite of it all, that we have each other's backs and hilarious companionship. We say thank you for the plentiful and outrageous food. We pray to be mindful of the needs of others. We savor these moments out of time when we are conscious of love's presence, of someone's, with a capital S, of someone's great abiding generosity to our dear and motley family. So again, when we are conscious of love's presence, of someone's great abiding generosity to our dear family, our motley family, these holy moments of gratitude, and that is grace. Such a beautiful scene of a very ordinary moment. In this morning story, our risen Lord Jesus makes his first appearance after conquering death. And it's not to Caesar, it's not to Pilate, it's not to the high priest or the Sanhedrin, it's not even to the 11 apostles. Jesus reveals himself to people like you and me, not at any special event or any special moment, but while they're walking home, while they're sitting down to eat dinner. We attend to even the most mundane moments because Jesus can show up anywhere and does. Thanks be to God.